Yeah, well, first of all, you always have to remember that there's always another level up from where you are. No matter how much you've accomplished or what you've done, there is always another level up. And so that'll allow you already to keep trying to find ways to get to better, like to get to your best. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. This week's episode is sponsored by Picky Bars. I've been a customer of their real food-based bars since their early days, and they get better and better every year. You can eat them before, during, and after a workout, or anytime really, and they're created from a need to have a performance and real food bar. One of my favorite fueling choices, they offer a variety of flavors including chocolatey, savory, fruity, spicy, and everything in between. Check them out and grab an exclusive For the Long Run listener discount at pickybars.com FTLR. Have you guys heard of Beam? I have been absolutely loving their products lately. Beam is a CBD company that's making waves in the running world by offering products that combine THC-free CBD with other high-quality ingredients. It was founded by two ex-professional athletes with the idea that everyone should have the chance to experience what better feels like. Whether you're sore or stressed, Beam is key for recovery and self-care. Try it for yourself with 15% off using the code FTLR from beamtlc.com. I recommend Beam Dream Powder or the Focus Capsules. Welcome back. I have Tiana Bartoletta joining me on the podcast today. Tiana, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Of course. Um, normally, our uh, my encounters with you on online are are of the yoga variety. So I'm excited to have some uh, some dialogue here this time. Yeah, absolutely. We're always breathing and moving and barely ever talking. Or well, I'm the only one talking. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So before we before we get too far, um, first question: Who is Tiana? Ooh, Tiana is a human first because some people get that confused. Uh, some people think I'm a machine or a superhero, but no, I'm not. I'm human. Um, a human superhero. A writer second. Um, pretty decent athlete and definitely a yogi. Yes. So excited to chat about all of those things. Um, you are, what is your current training goal? My current training goal is to make what will be my third Olympic team for Team USA. Very cool. And what is the event that you are training for? I am a sprinter and jumper, so I am always training for both the 100-meter dash and the long jump. Very cool. So the, the goal of this podcast is, is exploring the why and helping to understand like what has allowed you to be successful and what fuels this desire to keep getting better. And I love following you on, on social media because your whole vibe is like the pursuit of better. It's not, 
It's not winning. It's not being the best in the world. It's like, how does Tiana wake up and get better today? And whether it's dancing in between sets of, of deadlifts or whether it's jumping far or whatnot, um, you infuse this fun aspect into your, into your training that we don't get to see a lot of with other elite level athletes. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with Aisha Pratt-Lear on the podcast, who's a mid-distance runner, and she's 30 years old, and she said, I wouldn't still be in the sport if I weren't having fun every single day. And she's having so much fun that we had to reschedule our first podcast because mm-hmm. um, she was she was out getting mimosas after her teammate, Corey McGee, ran an 800-meter PR in training. And so it's just like this vibe that you bring to training is fantastic. And so first, thanks for sharing that. And second, has it always been that way for you? I'm so glad you asked that final question because I was sitting here like, oh, I'm really happy that that's the takeaway, but absolutely hell no. This is a recent development. That has not been my experience in this sport at all. In fact, you can ask anybody who works closely with me what the worst thing to say to me before a competition is. And the absolute worst thing you can say to me is, go out there and have fun. Because I hate hearing that because for so long, that situation is not fun for me. That's not fun. It's like I have to get out there and not let people down, not let my sponsors down, not give them a reason to reduce me. You know, all of these um, different things that were making it not fun for me to be competing and training every day. Now, there's a lot of freedom that comes with not having a, a shoe apparel company sponsoring you because you don't even have that weight over your head. Like, sure, you don't get huge bonuses for good performances, but like, I do a good job of celebrating myself, as you can see from my videos and stuff. <laughs> and, but I really love not having that, um, you know, this is how you'll be punished if you don't do well. And I think the joy and the lightness that comes from being able to train without having that over my head is coming out in my training. And I can even feel it now when I get on the line of the competition. So rather than I need to win this race so I can make this much money or so I can meet this obligation, my mindset at the start is uh, let's execute what I've been training. Let's see how close to perfect I can get this race, which is a totally different vibe. And I can celebrate almost any result. And it doesn't really matter what happens. And that's what's fun for me right now. So if everybody could have that mentality, I wouldn't need this podcast. <laughs> um, how did you How did you get there, though? I mean, you've been in the sport for a while, and it seems like you're just getting into, like you've unlocked another level. Yeah. Well, first of all, you always have to remember that there's always another level up from where you are. No matter how much you've accomplished or what you've done, there's always another level up. And so that'll allow you already to keep trying to find ways to get to better, like to get to your best. So that's the first thing. But the second thing was the sport was killing me. Like I truly believe that mentally, if I trace back every suicidal thought that I've had in my life, I could trace it all the way back to something that happened on the track or some kind of value tied to my identity as an athlete that was no longer going the way that I wanted. So this really became a survival mechanism. You started with who is Tiana? I couldn't answer that question until recently. 
it's only been in the last couple of years that I could actually answer that question without saying I'm a professional athlete, period. Like that's it. That's the whole thing. So I think that that is where it came from. The need to survive my career, essentially, because sport is inherently not conducive for good mental health. It's a results oriented. We love you when you're winning. Who are you when you're not? (laughs) Sort of what have you done for me lately? Environment that is counter to like everything that I believe on a personal, philosophical, spiritual level. And the cognitive dissonance that I was living with being in this industry while literally like chanting and meditating on something totally different was draining the life out of me. So I had to find a way to be able to do both things. And this is the result of that. When do you feel that change happened? Was it tied to, as you put it, like the freedom from not having a shoe shoe sponsor? It started a lot earlier than that and in a more, and from a more desperate place than that. So It honestly started when I was contemplating whether to get divorced or not. Part of the the whole staying in an abusive situation was like, if I leave, do I stop winning? If I stop winning, how will I, you know, afford my life? Those sorts of things, right? So it kind of started there. And in order to, and it's so sad to say, but in order to come to the decision to leave, I also had to come to terms with maybe track was done. Like maybe that was the price and that I had to decide in that moment that I was worth that price for myself. And if I decided that I was worth that price for myself, then it would be a good idea to figure out who the hell I was without tracking. (laughs) (laughs) So it started out way back then and then it just developed over time. So I've had a lot of conversations with people lately. So I I just moved to Colorado. I finally pulled the trigger on doing something that I wanted to do for, I don't know, five years Um, and as a result, I've had a lot of conversations with other people around, wow, it's so great that you finally did this. Like thinking it was just like a boom, like I wanted to do it and I did it, which is essentially how it happened at the end of a five year Mm -hmm. buildup. Um, and so a lot of people are like, oh yeah, 2021, the year to make change. Like, this is a good time to like start over or do this or do that. But like taking the first step is often very challenging. For me, it was easier because I was already here. Um, How did you get to a place where you could accept the fact that maybe that's it for you for track, but you needed to do it for your mental health and and physical health? Um, You say that it was easy for you to take the first step because you were already there, but I'd argue that that was not your first step. Your first step was being open to the possibility. And at some point, way before you ever hopped in the car and made that long drive to Colorado, that first step had already been, you know, taken. You're right. It was the last step. Yeah, exactly. And it was kind of like that for me. It's like, how did I decide I do this thing? I do this thing where I kind of meditate on the worst case scenario. Like, People like to say, be positive, Uh, you know, don't think about that. But me, no, I need to thoroughly kind of just sit with the worst case scenario. And I basically learned this from NASA. I read a book called An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. Um, I'm going to get his name wrong, so I'm not even going to say it, but we'll look up the title later. He went to the University of Tennessee where I went, so I felt like some kind of connection. Anyway, 
He's like, if NASA didn't think about the worst case scenarios, there would never be space exploration because something always goes wrong. It's like something always goes to hell. So you can't like stick with your plan A all the time or nothing would ever happen because nothing ever goes to plan. And so what I had to do was say, okay, if track is over, what happens next? And literally on a piece of paper, it was like, well, you'll be broke because you left school early, so you didn't get a degree. So the job market is going to be a little bit different for you. And your resume is going to look ridiculous because it's like a 17-year gap between your last job at a bookstore (laughs) and whatever you're trying to do now. And so then I went and looked at those bullet points and was like, okay, well, the answer to you'll be broke is just get whatever job. Put your ego to the side and get whatever job. Check. Okay, that fear is out of the way. Finish the degree. Okay. All that took was an email to some people about transferring and starting up again. Check. So it's like I really went down the list of what am I afraid of if this is no longer a part of my life, if this is no longer my identity, and basically dismantled each one and gave myself zero excuse. There was like a contingency plan for each one. So think about NASA. If the toilet breaks, there's a whole manual for what you're supposed to do and how you rig the like the pool noodle to make it work again. Like that's what I had to do <laughs> for my life. <laughs> that's shitty. Um, I love that. So so when I had when I had the I guess you could say the final conversation that that sealed the deal for the move. It was with our CEO and he asked me, why don't you, why haven't you moved to Colorado yet? You look so happy and you make me happy looking at you being happy. And I said, wait a minute. I thought that you were the gatekeeper on, on this situation. Mm -hmm. He was like, the funny thing about limits or perceived limits is sometimes they just totally non-existent and totally made up. So this issue that, had been a roadblock for you or a roadblock for me for years, just vanished once you sort of either address it head on or address it head on. <laughs> There's really no other way to do it. Exactly. We learned this lesson as kids with the monsters under the bed or in the closet. Like we swore up and down that those monsters were real until we actually looked under the bed and they were like, oh, okay. But then they go in the closet. And then we go in the closet, but then we go look in the closet. Like I remember walking around the room with my dad. We checked every nook and cranny, every single one, two, three times. We're still doing the same thing as, as adults. We have these little mental monsters in our minds. And because we refuse to look at them closely, because we're so damn scared, we don't ever actually get to the point where we're like, oh, okay, that's not actually real. And you just gotta you gotta lean into those things, and that's that's kind of what you did. The limitations are definitely perceived. There was like no gun being held to my head, keeping me in that marriage, and yet I strongly, one hundred percent, believed I could not leave. But physically, I could have left. You know, so like it is a very real thing. But we cannot be afraid to just look look for the monsters, and that way. I mean, some monsters honestly will end up being real, but most of them aren't. And the cool thing is once you start looking for these monsters or start the inertia, every additional step gets easier and easier. My my coach's line or motto is shoot your shot. Like do you, you know, take risks, take calculated risks, take very uncalculated risks every so often. 
And it's a, it's a muscle. As you do it more, you sort of desensitize yourself to risk taking. And again, don't be, you know, willy nilly with, oh, I'm going to do this and do that. But like he talks about it from a dating standpoint, from a life standpoint, relationships, jobs, like all of these things. As we talked about, the first step is challenging. The second step is hard. The third step, you know, it gets easier and easier and easier as you continue to flex this this muscle. Exactly. I call it radical resilience. You just got to keep practicing that. And then you learn each time, like, oh, I can come back from that. <laughs> I thought that was the worst thing ever, but no, I'm still here. So then you move on to the <laughs> next thing. <laughs> radical resilience. I love that. I just wrote it down. Um, where did, where did that motto come from? It actually came during the process of, I think, writing my memoir, which I started years and years ago. I started writing it like in secret, thinking no one would ever see it, but you know, we all do that. We all do that. Those sorts of things. We all have that one notebook. So it was a self-examination of my life, right? Because part of me was writing it like, oh, look how horrible my life has been. Like, why is it like, I'm just basically existing from one tragedy to the next is where I was. That was my mentality when I started writing. Like, I need to document this shit for, <laughs> like, I Somebody. need to put it on paper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then on the other side of the writing, I was like, actually, this is a, a tale of resilience. It's freaking radical because there's a lot of people who wouldn't even want to come back from some of the things that I've had to come back from, but I'm resilient. If nothing else, I'm resilient. And the radical part is that even, you know, like in a sport related example, I got, I had um, nine stress fractures in my takeoff leg for the long jump in 2018. And the immediate question I asked the doctor was, can I switch legs? (laughs) Like, oh, there's nine in that leg. Let me switch to the other leg. He looked at me like I was crazy. And so we x-rayed the other leg just in case, since we were already in the office and there were seven in that one. And he was like, yeah, probably shouldn't switch. And I switched anyway. It's one of those things where that's a perfect time, perfect excuse, completely justifiable to be like, you know what? I'm done. I think my body's called it. And yet didn't even occur to me. So yeah, those sorts of things. I've asked this question a couple times on this podcast. It's a it's a very loaded question, but um, I love asking it, and I'll I'll tell you sort of the backstory behind it afterwards. But why do you think you're here on the planet? However you want to interpret the question. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm hearing this story of resilience, and I'm hearing this story of you sharing your experience mm-hmm. with getting through hurdle after hurdle after hurdle track pun obviously intended um and i'm seeing how you share it on social and i'm seeing the responses that you get from people you've never met before or people you know quite well and i love it and so i'm that's that's where the that's where the question comes from yeah i love the question because i think i finally after all this time have somewhat of a sufficient answer and so like for the longest time I was very much, why me? What have I done to deserve this life, right? But now it's like, I hate, it's going to sound horrible, but like it had to be me because I'm the only one I know crazy enough to survive this life and live to tell the tale and is willing to be like, okay, hold on. 
let me tell you what happened, how I got through it. Like I've been through so much. I can almost hold space for almost anybody who's gone through anything (laughs) and be just like without even speaking represent surviving that thing because I've already lived it. And so in a lot of ways, although I don't, I would, (laughs) the pain and suffering has been huge. Um, I appreciate that I've gone through that and can possibly spare someone else before they even get to that point or hold space for someone who's going through that point or be a light for someone who's unsure that they can survive it. Because clearly I've survived it. And not only have I survived it, I figured out how to win nine medals along the way. So there's like, at this point, no excuse for you know, you not to believe that it can't be done. Like I'm a living example. And I'm not saying you're going to go out and win the Olympics. I'm saying (laughs) you can go make your own podium. Like you can get through it and you can thrive. I love that so much. So the reason I started asking this question, um, so in 2019, my grandfather uh, declined dramatically from Parkinson's and died in September. And In August, I went to Florida and had a conversation with him as I was leaving to fly home, knowing full well I would never see him again on this earth. Mm. And in this conversation, I'm getting chill. I've told this story like 10 times on the podcast. I get chills every time I tell it. But in that conversation, he was like, I figured it out. He was physically like very gone, but Mm -hmm. mentally still there. And his thoughts were still there. He was a very bright man and like... If I could be one-tenth of him, I win. He said, I figured it out. The purpose of life is to leave this world a better place than when you entered it. And I've done that. And I'm proud of my family. And I'm proud of being the patriarch of this family and, and everything that I've built. Uh, a very empathetic uh, man. And you're living that. Like, you're living out exactly what he has, you know, 85 years later decided was his understanding of the purpose of life. And I love this. People who, who live not for themselves, but for, you know, for those around them, like that's how we get to a better place in this world. There's so much shit out there. And if, you know, 10% of people were like you and like him, like this world would be in a totally different place. So first, thank you for for being the way you are and and sharing the way you are, um, and and keep living it because it's it's amazing and um, the the ability to like tell these stories for other people to hear, they might not be alone in this in this struggle. You can't you can't get better than that. You're gonna make me cry. Because first, that story was incredible, and I can't imagine what that must have felt like. Like, because goodbyes aren't usually final for us, so I, I have no idea what that felt like for you. But yeah, you you have to be of service. Like, we all have gifts in many different forms, but we all have at least one, and it's not meant for us to sit on and keep to ourselves. And and this is where we get it wrong. We think that being of service means you know you got to be the Olympian with the platform and then use it for good. But being of service also means like you make handcraft goodies with so much love and you take them to the farmer's market. And when you ask someone who stopped at your table how they're doing, you wait 
and listen for an answer and care about the response. Like that's being of service. That's using your gift in a way that connects with other people. And we get so caught up in things needing to be profound that we forget that very little thing. We all have something and it doesn't have to be huge, but we all have something. Those little interactions can be so meaningful. So I just did a podcast with my friend, Aaron Bailey, and she she talks about uh, good morning runs where she will say good morning to literally 100% of people she passes. And she's like, whether it's the garbage man or the, you know, whoever it is that she passes or another runner or whatever. She's like, it, sometimes it gets me in trouble because, so she's from, she's from North Carolina. She's just like, my hospitality sometimes comes across as flirty. So it gets me, <laughs> it gets me in trouble mm. sometimes. And so I told her a story about um, one of these like little tiny interactions that like made my week. Um, so back last April, or it wasn't April, it was um, October, I guess. So I was living by myself, wasn't really, I wasn't seeing anyone physically or literally. And I was on a run. I was doing my long run. I had a tempo in it. And I'm running out to jump onto the Boston Marathon course. And it's like 45 and raining. Like almost the worst possible weather besides 35 and raining. And I'm running down Beacon Street and a dude in a, in a, I think it was like a Penske truck, just shouts out the window, like, looking good, brother. And I'm like, thanks, dude. Like, gave him a thumbs up. And then we just leapfrogged like every traffic light. And I started running faster because I was getting into my tempo. He kept shouting out the window, like encouraging things to me, like for three minutes. And it literally made my week because I hadn't interacted with another human face-to-face in a week. And he didn't know that that was the best part of my week. I did. Um, Mm -hmm. But we have these opportunities all the time to say hello to someone, ask them how they're doing, and actually care about the answer. Um, I've said before, like, the best people are the people who ask, how are you doing? And either don't accept good as an answer or like are really asking because they want to know. Yeah. And I throw so many people off by, by saying, I'm well, how are you? And then they say, okay. And you know, they think it's just, you know, small talk in passing. I'm like, wait, 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 okay. What's, what's up? And these might be complete strangers actually. And it's amazing that when you do that, even for a complete stranger, they will tell you. It's like they've been waiting forever to tell somebody something and maybe preferably someone who doesn't know them so that they're not really judged for whatever the answer is. And it's just really nice to be able to hold space for people that way. It really is lovely. Try it in a grocery store. It's a little bit more difficult these days, (laughs) but try it. I have a friend who last February made it his goal to meet a new person every day for 100 days. And he was just like chatting up grocery store clerks and cashiers and the mailman and all these like different people who normally get ignored in mm-hmm. in day to day like oh hi you know thanks for swiping my credit card and see you never but he was like actively trying to learn their stories meet them and whether or not he never he ever met them again like that part didn't matter it was just like how do we create this community that we that we're craving in these otherwise like very trivial interactions and then COVID hit and it made it very difficult. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that, yeah, that's important. It's like every, every interaction is an opportunity to do that. For sure. 
Thanks again to Picky Bars for sponsoring this episode. I've been a member of their monthly club subscription for years now and have a bar before all of my weekday runs and also enjoy their oatmeal before long runs. Both are so easy on the road, too. If you'd like to support me in the podcast, Picky is offering you 20% off at pickybars.com slash FTLR, which is good for all orders above $25 and an additional 20% off your first box of a new Picky Club membership. That's 20% off at pickybars.com slash FTLR. Thanks again to Beam for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. As the days start to warm up and get longer, a cool down routine in the evening becomes even more important. Did you know that you can get a subscription to Beam's Dream Powder? It's what I use most nights before bed to help with a refreshing night's sleep. When you subscribe, you'll get the Dream Blend with a bunch of perks like even better pricing, free shipping, a free mug, and a drink frother just for signing up. Dream helps me wind down at night and it's made with compounds like melatonin and magnesium that support a better night's sleep. Make sure to use the code FTLR at checkout for an extra 15% off the already discounted 20% off monthly rate. And now back to our conversation. So switching gears uh, quite a bit, um, have you trained yet today? I won't train today, actually, because I'm preparing to leave for a competition on tomorrow and Saturday. Very nice. Getting so in the rest. A little downtime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you're on the start line uh, this weekend, what will you be thinking about? Mm. So it's a pretty stacked 100-meter race. So in addition to the the oh shit moment that I always have on the starting line of the 100, because I'm always scared to death before a sprint. Um, I have not mastered the ability to not be scared shitless in those moments. And so I don't even try. It's almost like, oh, there you are, old friend, fear. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you showed up today. Um, Beyond that, I am going over my execution checklist because much to many people's surprise when I say this out loud, I don't actually believe I'm a natural sprinter. Like I'm, I'm explosive and I'm powerful, but like, If 30 meters were a race, sign me up. Like, but the 100 meters is for me is so technical. I know exactly what my body is meant to do and the angles it's meant to be in for every 10 meter segment of the 100 meter dash. And I don't just get in the blocks and say, run free because I'm just, nothing would happen. (laughs) If that was my only instruction, it would just be You turn left. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Or like go back to the warm-up area, right? So (laughs) I'm going over my execution checklist, like this is what you need to do. And it anchors my mind so completely to the present moment that I can actually coexist with the fear that I'm feeling anyway, because it's a non-factor in my ability or willingness to execute the things that I need to execute for the race. So that's pretty much what is going on in my head at the start line. So the mind is such a tool that can be used for excellence and performance. Um, Yoga and meditation seems to be a pretty big uh, tool in your tool belt. Talk to me about how that came about and has it always been that way? Uh, I wouldn't say always. So my father's a martial artist who was very like entrenched in, you know, calling on the ancestors of his practice, right? That's just how he was taught. And so he was definitely about meditation, but he didn't pass that on to us 
because by the time he was married with kids, he was like leaving the fighting world and basically, as he puts it, converted to Christianity. He left his heathen ways. And so meditation, he wasn't, he wasn't um, clear on how they could live together doing that practice of meditation and Christianity as he knew it way back then. So we knew that my dad, like we knew dad was into some stuff that made him a way better, more lethal fighter. We knew that, but we didn't practice it. And then when I became an adult and did my own like spiritual journey and searching, I came back to it. And a lot of it was just based on needing to get my mind under control. Because like you said, it's a powerful tool, but it's also a weapon. And it's extremely powerful. And like every superhero story, every comic book we've ever read, you can use those powers for good or evil, but they're powers nonetheless. And so it's up to you to figure out how to direct that light. And I needed to direct it in a way that wasn't like working against me. And so I would say over the past 10 years, I really came back to the practice like you said earlier, there's so much shit going on out there. Like, why not be on my own team in here? Like, I don't need one more thing against me or stacked against me. So it was like, this is what I can control. I'm going to make my mind an ally. If it's going to be powerful, we're going to use that power for good. We're going to keep that power for ourselves. Very cool. And where does where does Breakfast Club fit into the equation here? And first, what for those who don't know, what is Breakfast Club? Breakfast Club is a weekday club of friends that gets up bright and early. So we practice live at 5, at 5 a.m. Pacific time. We do 15 minutes of yoga and five minutes of um, meditation guided by me. And then we kind of just say, have a great day. And we meet again the next weekday morning. Breakfast Club developed because when I... I believe morning rituals are really important for me. I'm a morning person, but when my morning is unstructured, all hell breaks loose for the rest of the day. Like It's just not the same. And so creating Breakfast Club honestly was a way for me to have a consistent practice in the morning. I also had started to get up at 4 a.m. to help me write and get a lot of the stuff done before training, because after training, I go brain dead and I don't want to do <laughs> almost anything after that. So give me more time before training to be productive and do the things that I want to do. And so I decided I'm going to be up doing this anyway, because I do a body scan every morning. I meditate every morning. Why not share this practice with other people, especially the people who are like, I just need that little nudge. The people who are like, yeah, I really should do, but like, not really. I need that extra push. That was it's me. Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, you can do it with me. And if you don't want to get up at five, I'll just email it to you, but do it whenever. But just do it because it's like a nice, consistent, like what a lot of the breakfast clubbers don't know is that getting up, well, they know getting up at four is hard, but it's like, it's easier because I know they're waiting for me. That accountability, that community makes it so much easier for me to keep getting up and keep doing what I'm supposed to do. And that's what I learned over the last year was so important because shelter in place and COVID threatened every athlete's identity. I mean, it was just like, oh man, like what do we even post about on social media now? There's no meets, there's no travel. I'm like, what? And I decided that I would just 
just be me who I've always thought I was more than an athlete, but to create the community that I was craving. Like you mentioned earlier, we have so much power over the things we create and curate. And I wanted to do that. And Breakfast Club is an extension of that. Very cool. Um, it was much easier to attend when I was on the East Coast mm-hmm. and it was 8 a.m. And it was like, all right, I'll wake up, do a little work and then like jump into some yoga and meditation. And here it's uh, 6 a.m., which is basically as I'm opening my eyes for the first time. Um, you talk about social media. Uh, you are good friends with um, Steph Bruce, who yeah. is one of my favorites on social media in terms of how she shares the whole journey and not just the highs. Uh, talking about your own social media presence and and you said like COVID made it challenging. And so you leaned into you as a human versus you as an athlete. How do you approach, right? This is something I've thought a lot about. Like, who cares? Like, why do people care that I go for a run every day? Like, mm-hmm. wh- why does that matter? It It doesn't. It's like the meaning that we attach to our own story. Like that's why I do it. So I'm curious um, about you and and your approach. So COVID was easier for me to navigate because well before that, I'd already decided who I was and how I was going to share. So nothing actually changed for me for that. So again, and back in 2017, before that year, I wasn't on social media at all. So when after the divorce and getting back on my feet, I returned to social media and I realized I was like, nobody knows me. So I was, I was having a, like, allow me to introduce myself (laughs) moment, right? (laughs) That's what, that is what my social media platforms are. Like, this is me. It wasn't even reintroduce yourself. It was introduce yourself. It was basically introduce myself. I mean, people from like 10 years prior were like, Oh, I remember you winning in Helsinki. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not that girl. <laughs> but this is <laughs> this is who, who this is who I am now. And what's really, really funny is I knew that I was gonna have to do this. I knew that I was going to have to brand myself. And people get caught up in that phrase, but branding yourself is just telling your story consistently. That's what it is. I mean, you don't have to go get a t-shirt. You don't have to have a merch line to brand yourself. But I decided that that was the route that I wanted to take, to take advantage of my last couple seasons in the sport, you know, really try to maximize it. So I asked for help. And the person that I asked, his name was Nick of Ride Out Collective. He was like, okay, but who are you? (laughs) And it really forced me to answer that question just so that we could have something to write on my first website. And so it started from there. I was like, so this is the story that I want to tell. This is how I won these medals. I was not the super elite athlete in high school. I wasn't a phenom. I had to like work for this and learn this and basically use my nerd brain to get to where I am. And I want people to know that. I want people to know it's not easy. I want people to know that I Although I make certain things look easy, I also mess it up. So I'm going to show you the blooper reel as well. I'm going to show you how I got to this point and all the details in between. I think the the authenticity definitely comes through. The blooper reels, It's everybody loves a good blooper reel. Um, if you were to go back and, and speak with Tiana of 2017 or even Tiana of 2013, what would you say to her? Uh, I would say you're worth more than you think and definitely more than you're accepting. And I think what we accept, now 
I'm going to walk that back a little bit. It was like, I'm worth more than I think. I was taking a lot of shit because I thought that that's what I deserved. And it really influenced how I talked and showed up in rooms and the stories I decided to tell or not tell. And like you said, I was landing very much in the, it doesn't matter. And it's like, no, it doesn't matter. But then it absolutely matters. Because it's your story and it's your path and you're living it. If it didn't matter, you wouldn't be here to live it, right? I should have, I would have told her like, you matter and you're worth more than this. Even though you don't believe it now, just do one thing that's just like, act as if you do. Do one thing in line with that and see what happens. Cool. So we've looked... We've looked back. Now let's look ahead. What would what would Tiana of twenty twenty five say to Tiana of today? <laughs> you need a vacation. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's like you need a vacation. I've just I feel like I'm in a very satisfying but very work heavy phase of life. Like just this is the part where you're just, you know, getting the field ready to plant or you just planted the season. Now you have to wait. That's like, that's kind of where I am. Just a lot of, I say it all the time, chop wood, carry water, chop wood, carry water, chop wood, carry water. I feel that I'm enjoying it. It's satisfying. But I think by 2025, I'm going to look back and be like, oh, gonna have a lot child. of wood. <laughs> oh, child. If you could, have, you'd need a staycation or something like rest. Rest, kid, rest. <laughs> Knowing that you know that now instead of having to hear it from a version of yourself four years in the future, how will you give yourself that grace? So basically, my calendar is still dictated by athletics in a lot of ways, but I I plan my little vacation. So one of the easiest things for me to do that makes me feel alive because I'm a big kid is to go to Disney World. Like I am very much a grown woman, very much will go to Disney World and feel like I'm five years old again, very much. Um, And it makes me feel good. That's something really easy for me to do. I only need three days and I come back and I can work and grind for months just off of having that refresh feeling. I schedule spa days and, you know, I have um, a high performance coach that makes sure that I I take mindful moments because, you know, we're in a situation where one, it might not be all that affordable based on the hits we've taken to our income over the last year or so to go on that grand vacation that would just make us feel amazing. So I do a lot of little things to just, you know, signal to myself, like, I see you. I know you're working hard. You deserve this break. I have my own back, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think these little things or big things that fill up our cup are so important. When I got to Colorado back in February, what I realized on the first Monday after spending basically an entire weekend outside was, oh my God, I'm so ready for the week. <laughs> like mm. I was so refreshed from spending like eight hours a day outside. And it wasn't because I like put down my work or I like blah, blah, blah. It was like, no, the physical act of being outside is mm-hmm. is so we were talking about it before we started uh recording like it's just i don't know how to describe it you just do it and you feel great um so i think these reminders that like we need to find these things that fill up our cup whether it's 
you know, a teacup or a little, you know, shot glass size cup or, you know, uh, (laughs) or like a, um, or like a, you know, dumpster worth of, of a cup to fill up. Mm -hmm. Like we need to, we need to find those things for ourselves. Yeah. And yoga does that for me. So that's why I do it so much. So like an hour of vinyasa with one of my teachers and I'm like, I'm good for the rest of the day. I'm not going to say like one yoga class lasts a week. No, no, no. Like it's like, I (laughs) do it daily. Yeah. I feel recharged enough to like go rock the rest of whatever I have ahead of me. So yeah, you can find those little things, those mindful moments, ways you can spend your time that recharge you so you can get back out there. So you've, you've alluded a lot to gratitude and appreciation. Um, Is that an intentional practice? Uh, I don't think so. And the reason I say that that way is because for whatever reason, anytime someone suggests I keep a gratitude journal, like something in me cringes, like, no, I, I think because I, I wanted to feel more organic for me. So I think it's just, it just comes from, I think it's when you've gone through some shit and you, you've worked to get back, you kind of see all the help you had along the way. You kind of see where the universe or God or however you see it has like shown grace or gave you a blessing exactly when you need it. And if your eyes are open, you see those things and you just have a moment where you're like, thanks for that. And that is kind of like constant for me. So it's not really intentional because I'm not thinking like I need to express gratitude for this thing, but it, it definitely developed as I began to just be more open and just see things as they are. And if you can see something as it is, you can appreciate it. It's more easy to appreciate it. For sure. What was the last thing you, you acknowledged the thanks for that moment with? Um, actually this morning breakfast club, because I actually, didn't get to bed until like 11 30 p.m so waking up at four is not awesome when you didn't even get to bed until 11 30 and I remember thinking when I woke up it's like well I have to show up for them because they're gonna be there on the call and then just when I clicked the settings are such that you can join before I get there so you have time to set yourself up and when I started the video just all the smiling faces like good morning I just my heart melted I was so thankful for that and I don't even feel the effects as of yet of so little (laughs) sleep you know I'll feel it later but that just felt so good it was like I have people I felt alone and unsupported for so long that looking at those faces on that call this morning at 5 a.m I was like I have people it really, it really touched my heart. I was really grateful for them. That's super cool. The the ability to create this community in a time when it's hard to have any sort of consistency with face to face interaction is is so powerful. And it was that was probably my like one of the hardest thing. I learned how much of an extrovert I am in 2020, and I, I was like, I, like. I was like going to shoe stores to buy shoes, like just to like talk to the person. Who I could see that in your post. I was like, oh, he needs people. He needs people. Yes. <laughs> and maybe <sure>. some dogs. <laughs> and maybe some dogs. Yeah. Uh, yes. I did a workout yesterday and uh, there were three different dogs that were a part of it. And it was, it was fantastic. All just by happenstance. 
Um, my last, my last rep was uh, one minute hill and um, I turned around right as uh, two dudes were walking two separate dogs and both dogs chased me up the hill and it was fantastic. Uh, yeah. I got chased <laughs> up a hill once by a dog. Their owner was mortified. I was like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the, the guy was like shouting at the dog like thinking it was like, like thinking I was running because I was scared and I was like, yeah. oh my God, the St. Bernard is chasing me up, up Mount Sanitas. This is like the best thing in the world. Right. For, dang, where's the camera when I need it? Seriously, I was like fumbling with my with my best. I was like, is that my GoPro or my hand sanitizer? And it was the hand sanitizer. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Missed opportunity. <laughs> so switching gears from St. Bernard's and, and hand sanitizers. Talking about balance, uh, I like asking this question on the podcast because people go one of two ways with it. They either say, here's how I achieve balance, or I think balance is wildly overrated, and here's why. So I'm curious where you fall on that spectrum. Yeah, like, no, there's no balance for me. Uh, And I don't, I honestly don't believe balance is required if you're committed to being present. Oh, I love that. Because- there's an element of like removing yourself from a situation like mentally because like you're thinking about all the other things that you have to do. But like if you're just right here right now, there's no imbalance. Like this is just what we're doing. We're here together on this podcast right now. I feel 100% invested, not drained. My mind and body are doing the same thing. So I'm not wasting any brain power doing all this other, you know, astral projection about what's going on later today. I'm just right here. And then when this ends, I'll just be right there. And like, so I don't really need the balance, like beyond making sure I don't miss appointments on my planner, you know, and do the things that I'm obligated to do as a functioning adult in this society. I just think being present is the key. I don't I don't need the balance. When you're with your kids, you're with your kids. If you have to work, you're at work. You don't need to sit in that moment and be like, I can't be fully here because I have to figure out how to be over there and do that thing over there later at some other point in time. Maybe that's why I love podcasting so much because I'm normally a very I'm very easy to distract and like I have ADHD and like I struggled with that as a kid growing up. But in in like this medium, it's just us. And I mean, there are thousands of people that are listening to this now, but it's just like, there's nothing else going on. And I don't have that in my life anywhere else where I'm either checking my phone or I'm standing in line or I'm running and I'm looking at dogs and I'm like doing this Mm -hmm. and doing that. And these moments where it's like forced presence is so powerful and like where else do we have the opportunity to spend an hour talking with someone where you are the only focus and I am the only focus and we're not distracted by anything else I think that's why I love it so much or one of the reasons yeah and you created that and like I create that space for myself on a yoga mat or when I'm reading a book or you know so like the imbalance is when i have the book but i'm scrolling on twitter that's not balance that's just being all over the place right and so when it comes to balance i just think get present just be be wherever you are very cool 
Well, I could have this conversation for hours and be present for hours. Um, <laughs> but I think I think my last question to you is, uh, and thanks so much for taking some time to chat and sharing all of this amazing wisdom and your learnings over the years. Um, my last question is, what do you wish people knew about you that you don't think they do? That one's hard because like my whole social media campaign is like, get to know me. Hmm. I'm always hoping that someone will share like a strange talent that they have that like I can play the piano with my feet or something like something. Yeah, weird I like don't that. really I don't really have any strange talents. I'm trying to think. Um well, maybe you picked up on this lately, especially lately as like my joy is like it's like spilling over. But I am extremely goofy. Like <laughs> extremely Look at I her am, Instagram videos. <laughs> I am I am childish, petty, <laughs> and goofy. A, an amazing combo. <laughs> I'm not a great prankster, but I'll try it. <laughs> um, and I think it's just such a contradiction uh, from what you see from me, like when I'm on a runway or at the starting line. And, you know, then I turn around and power clean 200 pounds and people are like, oh, she's scary. <laughs> and I'm like, actually... You should see what I do between sets, which is why I've started to post those pictures. Like, just in case you feel a little bit intimidated by me, this is me pretending to be Mariah Carey after I did that. <laughs> well, the, well, the joy is contagious, so please keep doing it. Thank you for, for doing what you do uh, and sharing it in the way that you do. For those who don't follow you yet, uh, where can we find you on, on social media? Yep, I'm on Instagram at Tiana.Bartoletta. Follow me there or on Twitter at T.I. Bartoletta. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking some time to chat and uh, excited to, to hopefully see you sometime later this year. <laughs> thanks for having me, Jonathan. Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. 